0: New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text SNAP to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text SNAP to 500-500. Hey, Snap listeners. We're bringing you a special bonus episode today from Oxygen's hit series, Mark of a Serial Killer. Returning to Oxygen with all new episodes on Saturday, April 2nd. You can also watch full episodes live or on demand on the free oxygen app by clicking the link in our description. Enjoy.
1: A woman that was shot and left for dead at that time in Dallas, that was not an anomaly.
2: I'm doing this routine autopsy, but the eye was gone.
3: I got a call that another body had been found. There was no doubt in her mind that was our third victim. We knew then that we had the serial killer. Why would a killer do it? To see
1: somebody hunting down women on my beat made it very personal to me. When victims fight back, there's more DNA that we can utilize. We discovered there was a link.
4: There were so many
5: uh, x blades and knives. Nobody had had this kind of case before.
6: December thirteenth, 1990. Veteran homicide detective Stan McNear is asleep at his home in Dallas, Texas.
3: I was awakened from a call from the dispatcher advising that uh, a lady's body had been found in the street out near uh, Cotton Valley, close to the Dallas County line.
7: It was uh, a residential area, kind of a rural area in Dallas, small houses, Almost out in the in, in the country.
3: When we arrived, there was a nude body of a female uh, lying in the street. A young lady, probably in her 30s. It appeared that she had, you know, been shot in the head.
1: A woman that was shot and killed and left for dead at that time in Dallas. That was not an anomaly. But the way the body was positioned was certainly abnormal.
8: She was placed in a very vulgar way, showing her private parts with her hands up and her breasts exposed.
1: We found no evidence of weapons or other paraphernalia that would be tied to the crime.
3: I believe then that she was killed somewhere else and brought there.
1: One of the officers that responded to the scene identified the victim as Mary Pratt. Mary was a known prostitute, a 33-year-old white female.
8: I remember meeting Mary. She was sweet as she can be. She was so respectful to us, and she had a kind spirit. And I warned her to get off the street.
2: Doing this routine autopsy, like we've done, you know, dozens, if not hundreds, of times. By then, I knew she had a gunshot wound to the head.
1: She was shot one time in the head with a 44 caliber bullet from very close range. It was an intimate crime. Possibly, she knew the killer.
2: You document everything you find: hair length and color, teeth condition, piercings, tattoos, scars, eye color. In the case of Mary Pratt, I go to open her eyes, but the eye was gone. There's no globe or eyeball present, but I knew she had a gunshot wound to the head. And occasionally, a bullet path will disrupt an eyeball. It's not real common, but it's certainly not unheard of. I go and I open the lid of the other eye And it's gone,
3: too. i would never seen anything like that at all.
6: Police fan out through the neighborhood, hoping to dig up more information.
8: I was a police officer, a young rookie police officer. All the prostitutes, we knew them very well. And we dealt with them on a daily, hourly basis.
1: When you're working the street, it sounds strange, but officers develop relationships with the people they work with.
8: John and I were talking to prostitutes, pimps, all of them gathering knowledge, just trying to get to the bottom of who this could possibly be. My partner and I felt very responsible for that area. <laughs>
1: we
8: appreciate it.
1: We had the ability to go where we wanted and talk to the folks and you know build a relationship.
6: One day after the discovery of Mary Pratt's body, Officer Regina Smith and her partner come across a local woman they know well.
8: I ran into Veronica Rodriguez. Veronica Rodriguez was a regular prostitute in the Oak Cliff area. She was working early that morning.
1: When we first saw Veronica, she was cut up. She had pieces of dirt and mud in her hair. When you see somebody in that condition, you're like, what happened to you?
8: Veronica said that she and Mary Pratt were doing a double out in the field with this guy, a trick. And she had been attacked and had to run for her life to get away. Mary Pratt was down on her knees when she was shot.
1: Veronica said that she was able to escape into the darkness and that she ran.
8: She ran to a neighbor's house. Veronica was so strung out on drugs, and she was well known for fabricating stories. Her word was not bond. We took every word down that she said. We had some doubts.
6: Veronica Rodriguez is unable to provide a description of the murderer and says she doesn't know the name of the neighbor who helped her escape.
5: There was a lot of violent crime that was going on in Dallas, hundreds of murders a year. It was during a crime wave that went through all the major cities in the country.
6: The homicide department can barely keep up with the number of murders. With little to go on, Mary Pratt's murder case goes cold.
3: I got a call from the dispatcher's office that another body had been found. When officers
1: arrived on the scene, they saw the body of a female partially nude, bloody. This victim was shot multiple times in the torso and in the head.
8: She was displayed in a very similar pattern as Mary, partially nude, breast showing, arms flailed out. Legs failed out in a very vulgar manner. Monday
2: morning, there was another doctor, and he said, oh, remember that case you had with the eyes gone? I said, yeah. He said, I had another one like that this weekend. Pulled up both cases and realized They were both found about eight blocks apart.
8: He turned to her with a look of rage in his face and said, I'm going to kill all of you hoes.
3: Another body had been found.
6: Dallas police are working a unique murder case where the killer has surgically removed victim Mary Pratt's eyeballs. Two months later, they have a second victim whose eyes have also been removed.
3: This was the second case where they have been removed. And again, it shows there that they were probably removed by extreme precision.
2: When you looked at her from the outside, their eyelids look normal. There's no disruption of the eyelid, upper or lower. There's no cuts, tears, or anything unusual. This indicated some degree of care or skill, being able to remove an eye from the front like that.
1: We're not talking about a violent pulling of eyes out of a socket. We're talking about taking time and being very methodical and performing surgery after death to remove the eyes. Why would a killer do it? what motivation would he have after he's already killed the woman to take the time? This is time that he could be getting caught.
6: The second victim's fingerprints are sent for identification, and the results come as a shock to officers Regina Smith and John Matthews.
1: Once the uh, fingerprints came back, Dallas County uh, advised us that the second victim was identified as 27-year-old Susan Peterson.
6: Like the first victim, Susan Peterson was a prostitute in the Oak Cliff neighborhood of Dallas.
1: I knew Susan very well. And Susan was one of the more uh, outgoing, more social women. To see that there is somebody hunting down women on my beat made it very personal to me.
8: I saw Susan Peterson before she was killed. And she told me that I would be proud of her because she was clean now and that she was getting married. I said, well, I'm happy for you. She said, well, I just hope you find who killed Mary. The next day, Susan Peterson was killed. I was actually frightened that Susan had been killed because I knew that if he got Susan as tough as she was, that we were dealing with a very bad killer. We just had to find the person that was doing this.
6: Police now believe that the same killer has left his mark at both crime scenes.
1: Dallas police reached out to FBI to say, we have two women that are killed in very similar circumstances and both of them have had their eyes surgically removed.
7: And the FBI checked their database, and they tracked most of the murder cases in the United States. They did not have a victim that had its
5: eyes surgically removed. Nobody had had this kind of case before. They had no idea who to look for.
6: The FBI's behavioral unit focuses on the killer's unique mark to help them build a psychological profile of their suspect.
9: The victims had been shot with a gun. That would suggest that the offender wanted to kill the victim quickly because his goal, his whole purpose, was to get at those eyeballs. The victim is left nude in a residential neighborhood. That certainly implies that this is a sex crime. And the eyeballs were tied in somehow to the sexual pleasure. The idea of the eyeballs becomes very important to this crime. Offenders who take trophies, it enables them to relive the event. And it's very high risk behavior. That's all exposure, not only to possible witnesses, but also to forensic evidence. That implies just an incredible sense of arrogance and ultimately maybe feelings of being godlike.
7: Perhaps we had a crazy doctor or surgeon because the taking of the eyeballs was done with such surgical precision. They said that he would be connected to the neighborhood where the bodies were found, someone that frequented prostitutes.
9: My experience with serial sexual killers is that they will craft a lifestyle around themselves, and that can include the type of work that they do, when they go to work, who they pick as a wife or a partner, that won't question them when they go out late at night, all in an effort to continue this behavior that is so important to them.
5: The police department has female officers who had been ordered to be prostitute decoys to try to pick up the john. There were undercover officers who were photographing license plates of any car going by. The girls still only talk to us. The girls knew that we cared
1: about them, that we were looking out for them, and that we didn't want them to be the next victim. They were scared. They were scared they were gonna be murdered
5: and their eyes cut out. One month passes, and their war rooms are full of diagrams and maps up on the bulletin boards. They're doing everything they can to find a suspect and they can't find one.
6: The case seems to have gone cold.
8: About a month after Susan Peterson was killed, my partner and I ran into Veronica Rodriguez again.
1: We knew that she was out doing a trick. And immediately, Veronica ran to us and said, don't arrest him, don't arrest him. She said, he's the one that saved me. He's the one I told you about, referring to her previous story that she had told us about escaping from possibly being murdered.
8: It was a gentleman known as Axton Schindler.
6: Investigators hope Axton Schindler might be able to tell them more information about Mary Pratt's murder. If Veronica Rodriguez's story is true, Schindler is a possible witness to a homicide.
7: His nickname was Speedy because he talked very quickly, like someone on speed. He's a very strange guy.
8: I said, Veronica said that you saved her that night. Is this true? What went on that night? And he was very dismissive to me. He wouldn't even answer. He was like, I don't know. He never said yes or no. He just threw his hands up. It seemed like he was more frustrated about being caught.
6: Axton Schindler proves to be an uncooperative witness, Investigators don't know if he's just worried about being caught with a prostitute or if he might know something about the night Mary died.
8: My partner and I just took all of his information. He gave me a driver's license with the address of 1035 Eldorado. I knew that there was something funny going on. Eldorado was in North Oak Cliff, and I knew that where Mary's body was found was way south of Oak Cliff. So I knew the difference between where Veronica Rodriguez said she escaped and ran to his house, then to uh, 1035 Eldorado Way ride on the other side of town. My partner and I uh, told the story of Veronica Rodriguez to Homicide Division. But it's coming from two young rookie officers on the street. Uh, and I'm sure they did their job and tried to take it seriously. But at that time, uh, we we never heard back from them.
6: Axton Schindler remains a person of interest, but police are forced to let him go.
3: A month after Susan Peterson's murder in March of 1991, I got a call from the dispatcher's office that another body had been found in Oak Cliff. Once I drove up, the way the body was displayed in the street, we knew that that was a similarity. Then once we got up to the body and looked at it, we knew then that we have a serial killer.
0: As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapt.
10: That's simplysafe.com/snapt. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account?
6: A serial killer has murdered two women in Dallas, leaving the gruesome mark of surgically removing his victim's eyes. A third body has just been discovered.
3: We opened the eyes, the sockets, and saw that there were no eyes in in the body. When we saw that the eyeballs were missing, we felt then we were looking for the same person that was responsible for all three of the killings.
1: Patrol officers on the scene identified her as Shirley Williams. She was a prostitute who worked in that area of Oak
4: Cliff.
6: Shirley Williams had a day job in housekeeping at a Dallas motel. She was married and had a daughter.
7: Shirley had family. Uh, She had uh, a close family. Uh, They didn't know her, her lifestyle situation. You want to be able to give that victim's family some closure as to what happened.
6: The medical examiner confirms that the eyeballs are again missing, but the killer has diverged slightly from his mark. In this case, the eyes have been removed with far less care. What was obvious on first looking at
2: Shirley Williams as versus the other two, she had put up a fight.
3: She was beaten up in the face. There were cuts around the eyes and face that we hadn't seen on the other victims. She had
7: a graze wound, so that was an indication her head was moving before she was shot in the cheek.
9: Shirley saw something happening at the last moment and tried to prevent it. He didn't anticipate that. And there was a struggle that ensued. But even after a struggle like that, he's still going after her eyes.
1: When victims fight back, there's more DNA that we can utilize. They may scratch the suspect, getting skin, hair, fiber under their fingernails, anything like that.
2: She had
1: a cut just to the right of her eye in this
2: temple area that on x-ray, we had seen a little fragment of metal. We removed a small triangle of what turned out to be an x knife.
1: With the discovery of the x knife embedded in the skull, that pretty much eliminated any doctor who is going to have scalpels and professional medical tools. We just knew from the evidence, we were dealing with an amateur for sure like a hobbyist, somebody that builds model airplanes or a carpenter or anybody that may use exacto knives in their work. So now we had somebody that had knowledge of anatomy, that had studied or learned how to remove the eyes, but was doing it in a very rudimentary way using exacto knives that you could buy just about anywhere. The suspect could have been anybody.
7: Also recovered from her body were Two head hairs from her left hand, which means she probably grabbed his head before she was shot. There was also one intact pubic hair found in the back of her neck.
1: So now we have a transfer of evidence from the killer to the victim. And so you can try to tie it back to the killer.
6: They have evidence, but no suspect and no motive. Police have no idea who would leave such a grotesque mark on his victims, or why. A few days later, a longtime prostitute named Brenda White agrees to speak with detectives. She shares a story that could break the case open.
1: Brenda wouldn't normally talk. But with the three murders now occurring, Brenda wanted to let us know about somebody attacking her.
7: She told them that she got picked up by a trick.
8: She told him she wanted him to take her to a certain place. And he started driving a different direction. And she said, let me out of the car he turned to her with a look of rage in his face and said, I hate hoes. I'm going to kill all of you hoes. And she pulled out her mace and maced him.
1: And even before he could stop the car, she bailed from his vehicle. She thought that was the only way she was going to make it out alive.
8: I said, well, Brenda, what did he look like? She said he's a white male with salt and pepper hair, muscular build, and Mexican looking. He's not Mexican, but he has an olive skin tone. That's what she meant.
6: The improved description doesn't match that of Axton Schindler, the only person of interest police have developed in the case. Officers Matthews and Smith decide to take this new piece of information and try out some new technology at the police department.
8: I said, I'm going over to the constable's office and uh, I'm gonna uh, utilize their computers to try to find this John. The two beat cops
6: enter in all the addresses they've come across in their investigation to see if any are linked to a man who matches the description of Brenda White's attacker.
1: I was just putting in different property addresses and see if there was any commonalities that I could find.
8: I put in that computer that driver's license from Axton Schindler with the address of 1035 Eldorado. And it pulled up Frederick Albright. I said, well, who is that? Frederick Albright was Axton Schindler's landlord.
1: Upon searching the tax records, we discovered that there was a link. We discovered that Fred Albright owned property both at 1035 El Dorado and in Cotton Valley, close to where two of the girls' bodies were dumped. Right there is what we call an affirmative link. And then I read his voting record, and then I saw his death certificate. And I went, something's not right. Dead people don't vote. One of the deputy constables, he overheard us talking about Albright. He said, wait a minute, I know that name. He had said he'd received a tip from a female several weeks before that said she knew an individual, used to date him. He became increasingly violent, that he had a fascination for eyes and that she even knew that he had x knives. She gave the deputy the name. The suspect she called about was Charles Albright. Within a couple of keystrokes, it was easy to determine that Charles Albright was the son of Frederick
8: Albright. I had a funny feeling inside very quickly. He had multiple charges. He'd been to prison. I was able to pull his picture.
1: In the picture, we saw a 57-year-old man with salt and pepper hair an athletic build and olive-colored skin. That almost exactly matched the description that Brenda White had given us.
8: When I saw that, I had chills up and down my spine. I said, that's him. I got
6: him. Police have a name for their suspect the man who may be responsible for leaving his terrifying mark on three victims.
8: We found out that he had an overnight job as a part-time newspaper delivery man, which would excuse him from his house during the wee hours. We were certain that we were on the right track. Our next step was to go to the homicide division
7: They had no idea what kind of reception they're going to get when they bring their investigation to these veteran homicide cops. Well, they laid out the whole case of what these girls had told them, and this El Dorado address, and Charles Albright's association with it, and Albright's past, and how he matched the description.
8: The detective in charge asked me to go to Brenda White and present a photo lineup with Charles Albright's picture, we met Brenda White. And as soon as I presented that photo lineup to Brenda White, she said, that's him, without any hesitation.
3: My partner and I decided to show Veronica Rodriguez a lineup. She identified him also as the person that she escaped and got away from. Once we had two positive identifications on Albright, We contacted the tactical squad and told them that we had warrants and that we were gonna run them at a residence on El Dorado in uh, Oak Cliff. It was after midnight, probably two o'clock in the morning. Officer Smith and her partner were there, two FBI agents. There were probably eight or nine uh, SWAT officers. That's when we told these SWAT people we were ready to go. They threw flashbangs through two windows.
6: The Dallas SWAT team surrounds the house of Charles Albright the man suspected of killing three women and expertly removing their eyes.
1: Once we got the signal that everybody was in position, the house was breached, stun grenades were thrown in, literally blowing the suspect out of his bed.
3: He didn't offer any resistance, and his girlfriend uh, didn't offer resistance. Took them both outside and and split them up.
8: I escorted his living girlfriend out of the house. She was a middle-aged lady. She was visibly shaken and had no idea what was going on. I gave her a cigarette, calmed her down, because she had just been through utter hell. And the next thing I saw, was Charles Albright in red bikini underwear. And then they brought him over to me, and they said, Officer Williams, is this the guy? And I said, yes, that's him.
1: I can tell you one of my proudest moments as a police officer was when the sergeant of the tactical team called me inside and said, you deserve this, and handed me Charles Albright to take to the squad car the arrest of a serial killer. And and it was emotional. I still get emotional thinking about it.
6: Police charged Charles Albright with murder.
7: Since Albright was in custody, we began building the case.
6: Police send Albright's DNA off to the lab and begin to interrogate him
5: why
7: they're accusing you? No, sir, I no. He denied everything and said, I've never been with a prostitute. I don't know any prostitutes. I've never been with a prostitute. Denied everything.
1: He got representation and refused to talk to us about any elements of the crimes. After Albright is arrested, we begin to search his house.
4: So I was looking for eyeballs, Zacto knives. I was looking for hair fibers, even collected the bag out of the vacuum cleaner to try and match up to see if any of those prostitutes had been there
3: the house was in a messy state clothes and books and stuff like that everywhere we found some books that had to do with serial killers and there was some newspaper clippings about the offenses before we learned who he was he had
7: hundreds of pictures of these women, which he focused in on their eyes. These were women he saw at the mall. He would take close-up shots of their faces as they walked by,
3: and he he focused on the eyes. We found a fireplace that had a trap door, and down inside was uh, several guns. he was a convicted
4: felon. He wasn't supposed to have any firearms. We found another significant piece of evidence. He had exacto knives all over the house. Oh, my goodness. There were so many uh, exacto blades and knives and all that kind of thing.
6: Authorities dig into Albright's past, hoping to find clues as to what could have motivated him to kill these women and what he might have done with their eyes.
5: Albright was born in 1933. He was adopted by Dell and Fred Albright. His parents died in the 80s. Albright's adoptive mother, Dell, was uh, a strict person, critical, could be overbearing. There was great resentment that his mother tied him to the bed to take naps, forced him to play the piano. She sometimes dressed him up as a girl in girls' dresses. He sort of just resented that kind of controlling nature. Dell taught him in her particular special hobby of taxidermy.
7: Then started working on small animals. One of the challenges was to take the eyes out, which he learned to do, scoop them out, that sort of thing.
5: Charlie always wanted to replace the eyes with these beautiful marble-like eyes that you could get at the taxidermy shop. But they were expensive and Dell was a very frugal woman. Instead, she got black sewing buttons and let him sew black button eyes over where the eyes were.
1: That could have been one of those triggers. Not only am I gonna kill women, but I'm gonna do something that my mother never let me do. I'm gonna get their real eyes and I'm gonna keep them.
6: Among the mountains of circumstantial evidence in Albright's house, detectives continue searching for the one concrete clue that would definitively close their case.
7: There was very interesting evidence discovered in his house. But the fact is, it didn't tie him to the crime
3: at all. It was all circumstantial, and we didn't have enough to file murder on him. Detectives were hopeful that
7: they might find the eyeballs in that house that could connect them to our victims. They looked everywhere for it, but they didn't find it.
6: Then investigators find what may be a crucial lead.
4: We found the information that led us to the place on Westmoreland where he had a storage unit. opened up the door, and lo and behold.
8: It was a, like a scene out of a horrific movie.
1: Digging into the information that we recovered, we discovered that Albright had a rental storage unit.
8: It was a, like a scene out of a horrific movie.
1: It had all of these animals preserved in formaldehyde. Jars and jars and jars and stacks of them.
8: It was shelf after shelf of pickled frogs, salamanders, uh, newts.
3: We started finding a lot of taxidermy stuff and uh, stuff in formaldehyde. We had learned that uh, Albright had a fantasy for taxidermy.
1: That was a huge major clue that said, okay, this individual has the skills and knowledge and ability to remove eyes.
3: Maybe even only using exacto knives, but he can do it. That raised our eyebrows. The X-Acto knives and uh, him being interested in taxidermy. We were looking for evidence that would connect him with some of the bodies.
6: The storage unit is a huge find. But even then, the evidence is all circumstantial.
3: Every time we found something like that, I said, you know, the, the evidence is just building. The case is just building. I was convinced that we had the right guy. All
4: these things were pointing at him as being a possible suspect. But there was nothing that we could use to point towards him being the killer.
7: There was more need to gather more evidence because we didn't have him really connected to the victims in the case. Our theory was if someone's going around a serial killer, killing prostitutes, he's going to uh, have a lot of contact with these women. Uh, And therefore, we wanted to find those witnesses that could connect them to our victims and make our case stronger.
5: So Regina and her partner hit the streets, this time
3: with a full photo of Charlie. And they say, do you recognize this man? Word is spread that uh, the guy responsible is in custody. So the prostitutes started talking more freely to, uh, Officer Smith and their partner. We take his picture and show it in a lineup to
1: a dozen prostitutes, and everyone picks him out. And not only does everyone pick him out, they go, Oh, he was one of my tricks, or he was my, one of my
5: regulars. Some talk about how he would come by and give them hamburgers and, and clothes. But there was a Mr. Hyde to his Dr. Jekyll. Some would talk about how he wanted to do sort of strange sadomasochistic acts with them, like beating them with a rope. They would get paid
1: extra money to take a pretty vicious beating and scream a lot because that's what he enjoyed. Everyone was
7: very worried whether we had sufficient evidence to convict Charles Albright. So there's a lot of pressure there to develop that evidence and get him convicted because There's a lot on the line. Uh, If this guy gets away, then he's going to commit these crimes again.
1: We immediately went down there, hoping to find evidence, evidence that may have been from the night of Shirley's murder.
8: It had blood and everything, and I just knew that was Shirley Williams' blood in there.
6: Charles Albright is suspected in the murders of three women, leaving his mark by removing their eyes. Investigators are desperate for physical evidence to tie him to the murders. Then,
8: officers Smith and Matthews find what could be the final piece of the puzzle. During that investigative process, I encountered one prostitute in North Oak Cliff uh, by the name of Tina Connolly. Tina Connolly was Shirley Williams' best friend. And
7: the last time she saw Shirley Williams was the very night that she was killed. Tina Conley saw Charles Albright that night. She didn't want anything to do with him. She left. Shirley Williams was the only other prostitute working. When she got back, Shirley was gone. Tina Conley had said, The last thing I saw her wearing was a yellow raincoat.
1: She told us of a field down the street from the motel where Shirley was picked up the night she was murdered. She used to take Albright on dates in this field. We immediately went down there hoping to find evidence, evidence that may have been from the night of Shirley's murder. During our search of the field, there was a large pile of trash in the middle of the field with plywood, uh, and, and it was just brown and gray. But sticking out of that, Gina saw a yellow raincoat.
8: It had blood and everything, and I just knew that was Shirley Williams' blood in
7: there. The yellow raincoat was a lot of dry blood but it had been exposed to the sun and the elements, it couldn't, there was no further DNA testing could be done on it.
3: They started examining it and were able to take some hairs from the raincoat. There were these strange
7: animal hairs found that it took a while for our forensic analysts to, to figure out. It turned out it was squirrel tail hair. And Charles Albright's house investigators took his vacuum cleaner bag. The same squirrel tail hair was found in Charles Albright's vacuum cleaner. Also found in that vacuum cleaner were eight head hairs that had the same characteristics as Shirley Williams.
6: It's exactly the piece of evidence they've been looking for. And several weeks later, police get results back from the lab that analyzed the hairs found on Shirley Williams' body.
7: They were a match. They had enough evidence to charge him with the murders. There was a lot of pieces put together to build a case to convince a jury.
6: As the trial begins, prosecutors decide their best strategy is to try Albright only for Shirley Williams' murder.
7: The primary case was the murder of Shirley Williams. That's where we had the most evidence. Her final act to try to fight for her life actually resulted in evidence that convicted her killer. Once we got the guilty verdict, we knew what the punishment would be. The jury was gonna give him life and and they didn't waste any time sentencing to a life sentence.
8: It was big news in Dallas. And the community were so thankful that we had caught him. Now they could relax, because this prolific killer has been captured.
1: You know, I've heard this phrase from folks afterwards. How do you know you got the right guy? It's simple. No more women died.
0: Axton Schindler was cleared of any involvement in the murders. Albright died in prison on August 22, 2020. He was 87.
6: For more information on Mark of a Killer, go to Oxygen.com. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances.